Hello, and welcome to Asbury Methodist Church's podcast. My name is Forrest Divini. I'm the lead pastor at Asbury. I want to thank you for joining us, and I hope this episode will enrich your walk with Christ. I hope it'll increase your knowledge of the Bible, and I hope it'll be even a bit entertaining. We are looking at the book of Hebrews. Hebrews is uh, it's the last letter that we are reading uh, in the New Testament for a while. We're going to be going into the Old Testament soon. I believe the first day, uh, if you're following along with our reading plan, the first day of the Torah is going to be June the 9th. And we're going to spend 100 days, so basically all of the summer, reading through the Torah, uh, which will be really cool. People, A lot of people really prefer to spend all their time in the New Testament, but folks, you don't understand the New Testament unless you understand the Old Testament, and there is a lot of cool stuff in the Torah, so I'm excited about that. But today we're on Hebrews. Now, contrary to popular belief, this letter is not about coffee. Just pausing so you can laugh at my awesome joke there. Um, It's not about coffee, it's actually about beer. And, um, And I'm just kidding. This, this letter is a very strange letter, because unlike most New Testament letters, we don't know who wrote it, we don't know who it was written to, and we don't know what prompted the writing of the letter. Which raises the question, why on earth is this letter included in a reading plan entitled Paul's Letters? The answer is, I don't know. I have no idea why it's in this reading plan, but we're going to read it anyway because it's a great letter. There's a lot to learn from the book of Hebrews, um, but it is definitely not written by Paul. There are <clears throat> and and when, you, when you read through like the traditions of the early church in terms of um, who they believed wrote the, the letters and the books of the New Testament, um, with most of the letters, there is a clear and strong early tradition about who wrote the letter. So most of the other letters of Paul were perhaps very obviously, attributed to Paul right from the beginning. Which is why uh, you'll see sometimes claims amongst Bible scholars that some of the letters weren't actually written by Paul most of the time, that they're just wrong. Um, Not just because of the early traditions, but because the reasons they give for these letters not being genuinely Pauline in origin are um, not very good. They'll talk about differences in the tone of the letter or differences in the way he's writing, but... Frankly, those can all just be explained away by the the different times at which the letters are being written. No one, no one speaks or thinks or writes in the exact same way every single day of their life. And there are events in Paul's life that explain the changes in tone, the changes in writing style, all of that. Um, so most of the time, you know, when there is a doubt about the authorship of the letter, it's not really very, there's not a very strong reason to doubt it. There's usually some other motive at play. Very often they're trying to downplay the importance of a letter because they don't like the content. But in almost every case, we have a really strong tradition about who wrote the letter in the first place. That's true for the Gospels as well. Um, The Gospels are named for the authors, and even though the authors never name themselves in the letter, we have really early, early, early traditions in the church springing up pretty much as soon as the letter was circ- as the the writing was being circulated about who wrote what gospel hebrews is different there is an early tradition that paul wrote hebrews but there are also very very early doubts about who wrote hebrews 
which is kind of unique. You don't see that with the other letters. You don't really see the early church fathers debating the authorship of most of the letters, but they do debate the authorship of Hebrews. Some people say that Paul wrote it. Other people say Barnabas wrote it. Barnabas, you'll recall, is one of Paul's companions for a good chunk of his ministry. Um, other people say that Apollos wrote it, and you might recall Apollos from, I believe it's it's the letters to the Corinthians, where he mentions Apollos as one of the other disciples, uh, apostles. <clears throat> and so we know that there was an apostle named Apollos, who was, uh, based on his name, presumably Greek and therefore Gentile, um, who, who was actually engaged in a separate ministry from Paul. So he was traveling around. Um, it kind of seems like, he, well, one, he may have planted some churches, we just don't know. Um, but it does seem as though on, on some occasions uh, he followed after Paul and, and he would go into churches that Paul had planted and preach. Um, and, and actually Paul seems to indicate that he approves of this. Um, so there, there's Apollos, there's Barnabas, some people have said Silas. Virtually every one of Paul's traveling companions has been listed as a potential author at some point. The bottom line is we don't know. We don't have any real clue who wrote this letter. We don't have any real firm idea of who it was specifically written to or why. In fact, we don't even know for sure that it is a letter. A lot of people think that this is actually the manuscript of a sermon that someone preached. And I'm kind of inclined actually to, I mean, it, it lines up. As someone who has to write a lot of sermons, Hebrews does feel very sermony to me. Um, So, this letter is very unique in that sense. One of the only New Testament books for which we just have no clue who wrote it, or why, or who was the original audience. But, it's a very rich, dense letter with a lot to teach us. So, let's dive in. This letter is filled to the brim with Old Testament references. So much so that that kind of like the Gospels, and, and like a lot of Paul's letters, but, but to an even greater extreme, it, it is really and truly impossible to understand this letter if you do not have an intricate knowledge of the Old Testament, um, or unless you read it alongside a very good commentary. Because th this letter just, it, it is presupposing that everyone who hears it, everyone who reads it, is studying the Old Testament intensely. Which has led a lot of people to think that um, it must have been written to a bunch of Jewish Christians. But that's not necessarily the case, because whether the Christians who heard it first were Jewish or Gentile, all of them actually would have known the Old Testament very well, because at the time... That was the only thing that was scripture. The New Testament obviously didn't exist yet, so they were all reading the Old Testament. Which, just as an aside, that is another sort of piece of support for the idea of reading the Old Testament thoroughly as a Christian. All the first Christians read the Old Testament and saw Jesus in it. It was their only scripture. When they wanted to know Jesus better, they read the Old Testament. So we cannot continue with this attitude of, uh, well, we have the New Testament, we don't need the Old Testament. No. Nonsense. Jesus didn't believe that. Paul didn't believe that. No one who wrote the New Testament believed that. 
you need to read the Old Testament, in particular the Torah and the Prophets. So, and we'll be reading both of those later this year. But, back to Hebrews. The fundamental thrust of the letter deals with the question, how can we approach God? It's a very important question. Every religion on earth has a detailed, firm understanding in their mind of how humans are able to approach the God they worship. This is actually most of what religion is about, right? How do we, if we know God exists and we know we exist and we know that we need to approach God, whether to ask for help or for guidance or wisdom or whatever, we need to figure out how we get to a place where we can speak to God, hear back from God, and exist in his presence. It is one of the most fundamental questions of any religion. And in Christianity, there's a unique problem here. Because we believe that the God of Israel is the one and only God. And the original scriptures, the Old Testament, really, uh, uh, most of the Torah, all the laws, the, the book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy, are all about how people can be in God's presence. They all are about this, this idea that the God who created us wants to be present with us, and the people of Israel are the people in whom he will be present. And he's going to dwell with them first in the tabernacle and then in the temple. But, and the key to understanding all of the Old Testament and all of the New Testament, God's presence is dangerous because we are sinful. When sinful humanity enters into God's holy presence, destruction happens. Not because God is willfully smiting people, but because that is the natural result of sin entering into the presence of something holy and pure. So all the laws and all the rituals of the Old Testament, all the things that they have to do before they can go into the temple, before they can go in and worship in the temple, are all... And, and just to be clear, that is separate from daily prayer, from daily worship, from daily reading of the scripture. This is just about all this, all the sacrifices, all the purity rituals, all the things that they have to do before they can go into the temple are just about enabling them to safely exist in the one place on earth where God's presence dwells. They can go and they can be miles away from the temple and they can pray no matter how sinful they are, no matter how... Uh, lax they've been in their sacrifices, no matter how, how much they've ignored the purity rituals, they can still pray to God, but they cannot safely enter the temple. They cannot safely enter into God's holy presence. All the sacrifices and rituals are about that. That's a big chunk of the Old Testament. So Christians then have two problems. The first problem is um, the temple goes away. 
It's destroyed. The Romans destroy it. It's never rebuilt. That's problem one. Problem two is... The presence of God, which formerly dwelt in the temple, now dwells in us. So how do we do that safely? How do we approach God if there is no temple? How do we approach God if we aren't supposed to be offering all these sacrifices, if these purity rituals have been done away with, if there is no longer a high priest in the temple? How can we approach God? Remember, the, the job of the high priest was to pray on behalf of the people. His job is to be in the temple interceding for the people of Israel. If there's no one doing that, how do we approach God? So this letter spends a lot of time examining how Jesus fulfills and supersedes the role of the high priest. To explain to readers for whom the only existing scriptures were the Old Testament, how they were able to approach God in prayer and exist in his presence with no temple, no sacrificial rituals, and no earthly high priest. And this makes Hebrews really crucial to our understanding of who Jesus is and what Jesus does. Hebrews explains for us how we are able to enter into God's presence. It explains what Jesus is doing even now, that he is at the right hand of God, interceding for us on our behalf. He prays for us to the Father. He does what the high priest used to do. And just as the high priest used to be the one responsible for offering the sacrifices on the Day of Atonement to pay the price for all of Israel's sins, Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice on the ultimate Day of Atonement to atone for all our sins once and for all. This is an important distinction because not every sacrifice in the Old Testament had to do with atoning for sins. Most of them had to do with purification, being able to enter into God's presence, washing away the consequences of, of living a sinful life. Only one sacrifice was the atonement sacrifice, and it happened on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. When you would take one goat the scapegoat, which is where we get the term from, the people would all lay their hands on this goat, symbolically transferring their sins to that goat, and then you didn't kill the goat. You, you put all your sins on the goat, and then you drove the goat off into the wilderness. So he would take your sins away. You killed a different goat. And he used the blood from that goat to wash away your sins. So the high priest's job in the Old Testament is to make the atonement for Israel's sins and to pray on behalf of Israel, to intercede for their behalf in the presence of God in the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was. Jesus, now, has offered the ultimate atoning sacrifice in himself. 
he has entered the ultimate holy of holies, heaven itself, where he sits at the right hand of the Father to make, a t make intercession on our behalf. So, as you read the book of Hebrews, I want you to pay close attention to how the writer describes Jesus and his role as our great high priest. And, and just let that wash over you. That's it for the book of Hebrews for this podcast. Um, there will be no podcast next week. I will be out of town. Uh, so we'll be having one week off from the podcast. We'll be back the week after that with a podcast on the book of Genesis. Until then, my friends, God bless.